All right. Y'all ready to worship? If you're new with us, we are in our final part of our At The Movies series where we've been taking movies, which is the language, the narrative of our culture, and really sharing the greater story. That's the narrative of the gospel, which is the greatest story ever told. And looking and extracting from those movies what we can learn just not only from our culture and what's going on, but ultimately what God wants to speak into our life in a relevant but also very biblical way. So I hope you've enjoyed the past few weeks and what we've been doing with this series. This, actually, this movie, uh, The Quiet Place, is this working? Um, was one of my, if not my favorite movie this past year. Now, I'm not like this uh, horror movie kind of guy. I'm actually not really big into a lot of those, but there's two things I really loved about this movie. The first one was the experience of being in the theater in a movie that deals with silence, the whole premise of the silence. And the second one is that the dad in the movie, John Krasinski, I'm an Office fan, so of course you gotta love John Krasinski. And if you don't like The Office, there's an altar call at the end of service. And so, um, but really appreciate his work. And he directed this film and, and everything as well. But uh, in the film, there's a man and a husband in it that is sacrificial and loving and amazing. And in our culture, it's hard to find men in film or sitcoms or anything that just aren't dumb and idiots, right? And so seeing that character, it was a really powerful movie, really, really good flick. I would recommend that you see it if you're not too triggered even just by the trailer. Um, here is a quick synopsis of A Quiet Place. I'm going to use my movie voice just for you. If they hear you, they will hunt you. A family must live in silence to avoid mysterious creatures that hunt by sound, knowing that even the slightest whisper or footstep can bring death. Evelyn and Lee are determined to find a way to protect their children while desperately searching for a way to fight back. That is the synopsis, you're welcome. <laughs> Again, one of my favorite things about this flick was being in the theater and experiencing it. If you didn't get a chance to do that, you're missing out. If you watch it, you know, get quiet in your, in your house because most movies have like this underlying tone behind them, have a lot of music. Like you don't even notice it unless you're really paying attention and like you hear like the thuds and the heartbeat and you know something bad's about to happen. Don't go into that room. Don't go into that place, right? You're gonna die. And you like, you have this undertone, this current of music that is instructing emotion and all these kind of things. The crazy thing about this movie is there was nothing they used silence. And the silence was deafening. I remember being in the theater with my 16-year-old son and we're watching the movie and you could hear people like had their Sour Patch Kids and like, <laughs> like uh, crunching it. And all the guys stuff, you're like, shh, be quiet. Like, because you could hear everything. It just like heightened your sense of everything. And it was beautifully done in that sense. And as we saw, the, the premise of the movie is if these creatures hear you, they will hunt you. And so you've got to be quiet because something is trying to destroy you and kill you. Now, I'm not going to give too many spoilers if you haven't seen this movie, but really merely a launching pad into what the Lord is doing in me and I think wants to continue to do in our culture and our church and our society is talk about 
this thing called a quiet place. Quieting our external world and our internal world so we're not consumed by culture. So we're not consumed by the noise and the things that are trying to vie for our attention constantly. I think everyone now just has ADD, it seems like. It's just, oh, it's just my ADD. Like, I can't, because I can't pay attention anymore because I have so many distractions coming at me constantly from this way, from this way, from this way, that I don't even remember what a quiet place is like. Do you remember this thing in Christian circles years ago called a quiet time? Anybody remember that? Like where you actually took some time away from everything and just had some quiet. Time to be with God, to read your word or pray, and just get rid of the distractions. And today, you can be on your phone, on your iPad, with your laptop out, watching a TV show all at the same time while your wife is going, can you hear me? Are you listening to me? Is, or is that just me? And just constantly distracted by every ding and by every noise and by every tweet and by everything that we lose ourselves, and we lost our quiet place. When my kids were toddlers, we used to call it not a quiet time, but we'd call it chill time. Hey, it's chill time. And my kids would be like, ah, the chill time is turn it all off, go into your room, you either sleep or you read. That's it. That's all you're doing. And I do that because I love you. And I want you to be okay in silence in a world that is filled with distraction. You know, everything just wants your attention. If they can get your attention, they can get your money. They can get your very identity. They can grab you. And it's just constant attention seeking from di digital capitalism trying to get you. And it's not all bad, but if you don't master it, it will master you. If you don't get on top of it, it will crush you and absolutely destroy any sense of life, much less spiritual life, you have as the anxiety rolls and rolls and gets higher and builds and builds. And we're in this culture today. Now, Jesus, we looked at the scripture a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about this idea of hurry sickness. Jesus talks about this. And Jesus did so much. I mean, John, one of his disciples said, if everything Jesus did was written, there would not be enough books to contain in the whole world. So Jesus was very productive. Type A, more driven than you, did more than you. And yet Jesus himself had a secret and had a way and had a path in order to have life. Because let me tell you today, Jesus isn't just wanting to save you for the next life. He wants to save you from your current life now as well. And he offers this thing he calls abundant life. Life right now, the Zoe kind of life. Not just the next life, but today. And he has a path and he has a way that he shares with us as he says, follow me. Come my way. Don't just pray a prayer, but follow me and go my way. And this is 
why we come to church, why we are in community, why we have the cause of Christ behind us, because we are a different people of a different way and a different path. And if we're not careful, we will easily just get consumed and plugged in like the rest of the culture. And our narrative fades away personally and we just become robots to everything else. We're not people anymore because we don't know how to find a quiet place. The silence is deafening and kills us, but we don't realize we're slowly being killed by the noise that wants to consume you. Jesus in Luke 5 is busy healing people, going around. Throngs of people are coming to him, and it says this, verse 15. However, the report went around concerning him, Jesus, all the more. He's more popular. More news is going out about Jesus. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. He's one man, the Messiah, doing all the work. And in the midst of the height of his ministry and the go, because you might say, well, there's no way I can have a quiet place. There's no way I can get out like you're crazy, Chris, because you don't know my, my job, how driven I have to be. You don't understand my studies and the things I have to do. There's no way I could do this. And I would say, if Jesus did it, you can do it. Because if Jesus had to do it, you have to do it. If this was a practice that he did in the midst of a crazy, attention-seeking world, I think it's something we need to do as well. And verse 16 says this, he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. The idea of getting away and praying, some of us like that, if we did a poll right now and said, how's your prayer life? I mean, I think most of us are like, you could be better. I don't think anybody's like, man, I'm killing it. I got this thing down, come and talk to me. I think all of us, no matter where you are, be like, I, 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 I need some help. I need, and a lot of it is because we're so distracted, but Jesus himself in the midst of activity and good business, doing the business of his father, took time often to withdraw and get away and get alone. Not, well, you know, I pray just as I go. No, 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 get away, withdraw and pray. Some wonderful authors on prayer, think of prayer like this. I love this quote, relaxing into God's goodness. What are you doing today? Oh, I'm just relaxing into God's goodness. See, when we think prayer, we think work, boring. But if we really have a relationship with God the way Jesus has made the path for us too, I can relax into God's goodness and just be with God. Another quote, prayer is another way to think about prayers, to pay attention to the deepest thing I know. Instead of this, this, this vying for my attention, paying attention to the deepest thing, the deepest person, the deepest entity I know. Jesus didn't just do this in the middle of his ministry. He started his ministry with this practice. 
In Matthew 3, 16, we see kind of the coronation of Jesus being crowned as the Messiah. This is my son. And it says this, verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove, this gentle, and I love this, and coming to rest on him. How many times does the spirit want to do something in your life, but you're not quiet enough, you're too frantic my toddler, when, when Cadence was, was a toddler, she, I, she, I would literally have to grab her head. Like she'd be running around crazy, like, Cadence, 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 Cadence. I'd grab her head and like, and then her eyes would like turn. I'm like, grab, like, if I could grab your eyes, look at me in my ocular stems, right? Like, come on. And that's God, I think, and I love this. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, this gentle spirit like a dove the holy spirit isn't a dove like a dove and comes to rest on him and look at this and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased the very next verse then jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This word wilderness in the Greek is eremus, which wilderness is not a great translation. It means a couple different things. It means desert, but don't think of like sun and raging like Sahara, but it's a, it's a place where literally another word is you desert, like you desert life and where things are, are, are not distracting you. So it's a deserted place is another word, a desolate place, a solitary place, a lonely place is another way to look at this word wilderness or Aramis in the Greek. This is my favorite one, a quiet place or a wilderness. And it's interesting upon Jesus being coronated and like, you are my son. And you think like, now let's go out. We're starting the ministry and all these people hear this and are ready to follow me. And it doesn't say the enemy came. Like what happens in our life, man, the enemy, he broke my car down this week, right? My plumbing went out. The devil is trying to kill me. It actually says that same spirit that rested on him drove him to a quiet place to prepare him to then battle this enemy. If you know the rest of the scripture where Jesus and Satan, Satan is coming against him, accusing and doing all these things and Jesus uses the word. But I think Jesus knew something and the spirit obviously knew something that you are about to have one of the biggest battles of your life. And although you could start and run with a sprint, I need to take you away into a quiet place to fill you so that then you can pour out. And yet, it's typically the opposite with us. I'm too busy to pray. I've got too many things going on to get alone. And Jesus' way is no, 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 no. You need to be filled before you pour out. And as long as you're just pouring and never being filled, it's no wonder you're exhausted. You can only give what you have. And some of us have run out and we're going, I don't have anything else to give. You might need to go to a secret place. You might need to find some time. And I would say you need to find some time. And you see this throughout scripture in Jesus's way. 
Jesus' like life, especially you look in the book of Luke, in the gospel of Luke, his, there's kind of two points of access for Jesus. The busier and more in demand and famous Jesus becomes, the more he withdrew into a quiet place to pray. And yet for us, it's the opposite. But why? One reason, a survey from Microsoft found that 77% of young adults answered yes when asked. When nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. Now, is the phone in and of itself a bad thing? No, it's beautiful. I love to be able to connect with the world, with people from all over the place, but this thing vies for my attention. In fact, some doctors label this concept and this idea as phantom vibration syndrome. Have you ever heard of this? You could probably guess what it is. You ever been around, you're like, oh, what's buzzing? You pull out your, and your phone never buzzed or your phone's not even on you, but you feel a buzz? Nobody else? Phantom vibration syndrome, it has its own name now because we're so used to, oh, grab, grab. Grab, 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 grab. Anybody else guilty? A recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. Each user is on his or her own phone for two and a half hours over 76 sessions. That's how it accumulates. The psalmist Psalm 16, 8 says, I've set the Lord always before me. So here's the question, what would it look like in my life if I allowed God to touch my mind as often as I touch my phone? <sighs> Vying for my attention. What's sad is that a goldfish has attention span of nine seconds. In 2000, we humans, you and me, had an attention span of 12 seconds. In 2015, they did a study, and now they say we have an attention span of eight seconds. We're being beaten out by goldfish. <laughs> Are you smarter than a fifth grader? I wish. Goldfish can hold attention longer than we can. Ding, tweet call. You know, you see it, people are in restaurants, and you can tell a couple that has been dating, like, really, like, fresh, and they're getting to know each other and actually talking. And then, like, the old couple that are just both on their phone, people that are walking and hitting poles, running into things, you've seen it all. I don't have time to show you the videos. We are so distracted, and again, we're not, like, anti this stuff, but Oh my gosh, if you don't master it, it will master you. If you don't start paying attention, it will destroy you. In this great book I'm reading called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, he says this, we now have access to infinity through our new cyber-esque selves, which is great, but we've all lost something crucial. All those Listen to this, little moments of boredom were potential portals to prayer. Little moments throughout our days to wake up to the reality of God all around us, to wake up to our own souls, to draw our mind's attention and with it devotion back to God, to come off the hurry drug and come home to awareness. 
that hurry drug. You guys remember, I remember this thing in the 80s and 90s called boredom. Do you remember this thing? Like my kids today would say, I'm bored and I want to like choke slam them in a very nice non-CPS way. And so like, you don't know what boredom is. And some of you older than me are going, yeah, whatever, bro. Because I remember, I, I have no cousins. Like I'm that, I have no cousins. So I would go visit my grandparents and during Thanksgiving, Christmas holiday, we were making that drive and I'm in the car. I had no like iPad and stimulus. I had no like dopamine trip. I had nothing. So I'm just stuck in the car just with my own thoughts by myself. Like I had to create games. Anybody do that? You, you, you probably don't know this. But, but I would like look out the window and there, if there was like a speck or something or like there would be like the writing on the window and I would look at it and if you moved your head, it looked like it was bouncing. And I would look out and because the car's going fast, I would, ooh, ooh, oh, I'm bouncing, I'm going, I'm, anybody else weird like me? You just have to like make up things. And now listen, researchers, scientists are saying this, creativity is actually birthed through boredom. And the more we're distracted, the less we can create because we are always just, oh, this, oh, this, oh, this. And we're driving ourselves mad and losing our creative purposes even because we don't even take the time just to sit and be and I believe allow God to come and imprint some things in our heart and our lives. And there's consequences to living in this crazy rhythm some of the consequences that we're reaping and that we see, and you know if you feel this tension and you have this hecticness, the first thing, we start to feel distant from God. Like God's not around, I don't know where God is. Yeah, you're too distracted to pay attention. Like you're constantly moving, you're not subtle enough to allow him to speak to you. You're like that kid running around, and he's going, just be still for a second. What else then happens? If you feel distant from God, you start to feel distant from yourself. Like you use your very, you lose your identity, your calling, you get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent and you're just like putting a fire, 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 fire and never settling in and you start to lose yourself. Then you start to feel that undercurrent of anxiety that just reaches and reaches till it's choking you and it rarely goes away. It's this sense that you're just always behind, you're always playing catch up and you're never done. And then it leads to that feeling or just actually being exhausted. You wake up and your first thoughts are already, I can't go back to bed. You lag through your day, low-grade in energy on loan from whatever stimulant of choice leads then to that escapes. We turn to whatever escape it is of choice and we can get that hit and feel better. Do you know even Silicon Valley right now are doing dopamine fasts because they understand that hit, that feeling, ding, 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 like, like, like. Even the people that are creating these things, if you, if you look up some of the inventors of 
some of these things that are vying for our attention, they're not allowing their kids on it anymore because they know what it's done and they have regrets. Then what happens? Then you become prey for the tempter and emotional health sets in. See, the tempter comes in because you've already lost yourself, your sense of God, your sense of self. You've got all this anxiety and it just furthers that sense and we lose control and the enemy's like, oh, I got this fool. This is easy. And you're tempted and you're struggling and you're going, why? Some of you struggle with porn addiction and let me say, pornography is actually not the root. It's not the root. The root is closer to this area. Needing something to make you feel better and escaping. Listen, that thing is just a part. It's a limb on the tree. But getting down to the root of it is I've lost my identity and my dignity and who I am. So we don't just treat the symptom, but let's get to some roots. Where are you? Are you allowing or have you allowed this emotional unhealth just to completely set in and that's where the smallest thing just triggers you a throwaway line from a boss a snide comment from a coworker, and you are done is this our culture or what and we wonder why jesus has a lot to say about it. in fact the bible is clear psalm 46 10 in the living bible says this stand silent Know that I am God, and I will be honored by every nation in the world. Some of you know this verse. Another verse say, be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted in all the world. Be still. See, this is not a suggestion. This becomes a commandment. And again, think about this. If Jesus needed time in a quiet place, you probably do too. I probably do too. Because we can still the external world, but we still have this internal noise that's like this mental chatter that just never shuts up. A lot of you, we, we know this, we have this running commentary that's going on our heads and our heart on just everything. And even if the world outside is silent, that's what starts to creep up, which is why we hate the silence and have to grab for my phone. Because I start to feel something. We replay the last conversation with a friend over and over again the lustful thoughts of a guy or a girl down the street or even just our fantasies that are not just sexual but also like revenge fantasies. Imagine this, like if I would have said this, that conversation would have turned or I would have got him in this way. All of these things, our worry starts chirping away at our joy and peace and hammering on us in the what ifs of life. Just that internal unrest because we can't quiet ourselves internally. What are the benefits of a quiet place? Why do you think Jesus did this and offers this to us? Here's some things that happened in this quiet place. Number one, we face down evil 
and confront reality. When you get alone and you go to that place and you're in prayer and you allow, listen, silence and solitude, which is that loneliness because I'm with God. I'm not just trying to get alone and have a spa day like Jesus did. Listen, he's with God and he's facing down the evil in his heart and in his world. He's just letting it fester and be there and praying and asking God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And what happens is that then it confronts his reality. It confronts our reality about ourselves. that, listen, I can run and distract myself into thinking I'm okay. But when I really get down, I start to feel that anxiety and all that worry and that stuff come and I've got to confront it and I got to stay in it long enough to confront it instead of be distracted and get rid of it that deafening silence that creeps up. What happens though, once you stay in it long enough, here's what happens. We experience God's compassionate love. When you go, look how evil I really am, look at all this stuff, and yet, Jesus, you died for me. Not while I was awesome, but while I was a sinner, Christ died, and now I'm confronted not only just with me, but with the love of God, and it becomes an experience now that I have, not just something I've heard or listened to from a podcast, but now I have because I hear him tell me he loves me. I yield then, surrender in this quiet place, like, oh. I yield my control of life, which control is like the killer of trust in God. I've got this. No, he's got it. And I'm reminded at this time in my quiet place, I hear the gentle whisper of the still, small voice. And when you hear God's voice speaking to you through his word, through the rhema, the now saying word of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing like it and it allows you now to the last thing. And that's then return then in love, return to the world. Like I've escaped, I've gotten away, but now I'm filled. I've got something to offer and give and I'm not anxious and I've mastered something because I've been filled by the master. Instead of the understanding that it's hard to experience the creator when I'm constantly distracted by his creation. Cardinal Robert Sarah, in the book called The Power of Silence, says this, at the heart of man, there is an innate silence. For God abides in the innermost part of every person. God is silence, and this divine silence dwells in man. In God, we are inseparably bound with silence. God carries us, and we live with him at every moment by keeping silence. Nothing will make us discover God better than his silence inscribed in the center of our being. If we do not find, cultivate this silence, how can we find God? We're gonna do a practice. This is a nightmare for a speaker, but I'm a pastor. And it's good for our soul. We're gonna take a moment, I'm gonna ask the lights to come down. And I'm gonna mute myself. We're gonna take a moment of silence and I'm gonna instruct you as we go.
God, how kind are you? How sweet are you, God, to uh, speak to us? Um, that we don't deserve to hear your voice, but that, but that you do, that you want to have communion with us. God, you are great and holy and mighty. Um, we want to know your ways. Um, we want to know who you are, God. I thank you that um, you would meet us here. And God, I pray um, even in this moment that begins to stir a desire to be alone with you and to, um, to spend some sweet solace time to enter into your eternal peace. God, we ask for more of that as we enter into the holidays that we would not forget you, that we would not pass you by. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.